Hello, everybody. Um, I'm recording this uh, podcast episode from a hotel room uh, in Alexandria, a small town just outside of Washington, D.C., on the east coast of America. Uh, I just finished teaching here. Um, I taught, well, actually, three weeks ago, I, I went into Ottawa in Canada, uh, and I taught a, an event up there in Negong where I largely focused on sort of medicinal aspects of the training and, and things like this. Then I traveled uh, across America and had a bit of a break and a bit of fun in the States before I headed over to California and taught a five-day retreat on Dao Yins, um, especially on the leading and guiding chi. Um, and then there was a trip over to the East Coast with a very short break, actually, only a couple of days. And then I just taught two days um, in a place that I can't remember the name of. Just out. Oh, no, no, it was in. It was in Washington, D.C. for a change. Yeah, it was in Washington, D.C. I taught there. Normally, I teach in Maryland, but this time I taught in Washington, D.C. So I taught two days there to um, another group of people, uh, mostly looking at sort of foundations of building the Dantian. And, and for people who have trained a bit longer, some more advanced aspects of the training to do with uh, mobilizing chi within the center of the body. So overall, uh, three workshops um, that basically took me about three and a half weeks um, of travel and, and teaching to get done over here in the States. There was lots of different people that I'd never met before, lots of new ones, um, lots of returning people as well. There was a few that went on all three of the workshops. That was really nice, um, especially as I, I didn't actually know they were going to some of them. So one guy came all the way in from uh, where he was from Poland and he was on all three of the events um, and some of the Americans obviously went to uh, all three of them, but it, w- it was good meeting a lot of new people as well and, and seeing what they're up to. Uh, so, yeah, met lots of great people over here. But uh, I, I always do when I'm in America. I always do. They're always, um, it's very friendly here. Uh, everybody's very welcoming and it's good fun teaching in the States. And it, especially as you meet so many people, I mean, the, the event on California, in California was like 85 people or something. And, and most of them had backgrounds in therapies or, or other internal arts or something like this. So I always learned a lot as well, chatting with them and seeing what they do. There's so many therapies over there in California. There's loads I've, I've never even heard of, um, you know. So I chat about that and try to figure out what they're doing. And these days there's a, a lot of, Chinese medicine people, so many acupuncturists and acupuncture students compared to what we used to have. Uh, I, I, all of the breaks and lunch times and some of the evenings um, was spent answering questions on uh, Chinese medicine and acupuncture in particular, um, which means you don't get much of a break when you're teaching the courses, but that's all right. That's what I'm there for. Um, when I'm teaching, I'm teaching. I, I basically wake up, teach, try and squeeze my own training in and then fall asleep. Uh, and then rinse and repeat for the next day. But yeah, it's interesting chatting with all the Chinese medicine people and seeing what they're doing. So I was um, just really wanted to sort of look back at the training I've done in this podcast, or the teaching I've done in this podcast, and have a look and uh, kind of see how it went. I'm a little bit tired, so um, after being on the move all across America, both coasts and up down in Canada as well. So a little bit tired, so nothing too technical this time. But I especially wanted to uh, look at some of the uh, sort of things that came up over the course of the workshops from talking to people, things that I think might be helpful um, to people. But first, actually, what was interesting was the positive feedback we've had for the podcast show. That was really nice. Had uh, so many people coming up saying they really liked the show and they've been listening to it and uh, they found it funny and they found it helpful and stuff like that. So that's great because to be honest, I hadn't had a lot of feedback on this podcast, um, not directly um, up until recently. I've had some, obviously, but not a great deal. Um, and really, when we did this podcast, you know, it was basically just myself and Rob and, and then Jason just 
decided to chuck a recorder on and record our usual standard conversations that we have. So it was all done with no planning or anything. And, and I kind of planned that I, the only plan I had was I'd keep doing it if it was useful for people. And if it wasn't, I would stop because it's not particularly difficult for me to do. Um, but I wasn't going to carry on the podcast if nobody was listening to it or it wasn't very helpful. But the feedback I had, people seemed to really like it. So that's great. Um, we've had some negative feedback, of course. Uh, the main, the two main negative comments are the same ones, same kind of stuff that always comes up. First one is a lot of people were annoyed. I referred to myself as the Scholar Sage, uh, hence, you know, they they think I named the Scholar Sage podcast after myself. And uh, firstly, that's completely nonsensical. Uh, Scholar Sage was a a sort of semi-jokey fictional immortal that became the namesake of the uh, of the online magazine that we've been running uh, for years. Um, we even have a picture of a somewhat cartoony sage-type character on the front of a book called The Scholar Sage Book that was produced from the articles on that website that was published by Singing Dragon. Um, and Scholar Sage doesn't refer to anybody, really. It was a bit of a joke because within Taoism, you're not supposed to be scholarly, I suppose. And, you know, the words that are spoken are never accurate in talking about Tao. They're very clear about that. And yet at the same time, the Tao Zhang, the Taoist canon of classics is over 10,000 volumes big. So there's a, a huge um, hypocrisy and contradiction in that idea. So we kind of reflected that with the name of the Scholar Sage. Um, so in no way at all, I want to make really clear, was I referring to myself as a Scholar Sage. I'm not very scholarly. Um, I don't think. No, I don't think so. I, that involves much higher qualifications than I have, I think. And I certainly don't refer to myself as a sage. And the other um, negative feedback is the same one that's been sort of hounding me for <laughs> my teaching career, um, which I don't really care about, but I may as well explain, is that people are also annoyed. Not only do I name myself after the, after a sage, a scholar sage, but I also name myself after Dharma, Bodhidharma, um, as in the uh, monk that traveled to Shaolin Temple and basically wrote some of the most important classics for the internal arts. Um, so how dare anybody listen to a man or train with a man who's so deluded to name himself after Bodhidharma? Well, personally, I would agree with that. Uh, I think they're right. If I had named myself after Bodhidharma, um, then I would run a mile. I wouldn't be the sort of person to train with. But actually, my name is not Dharma, it's Damo. Um, and it's uh, short for Damien, which is my actual name. Um, it's literally short and just like Frederick becomes Fred or whatever, I don't know. Like It's just a short version or David becomes Dave. It's just a short version of a name. Most of the Damians I've met over the course of my life have also been called Damo. Um, so no, it's not a reference to Bodhidharma. Uh, all of the time when I've been teaching, people have been throwing that at me. But I think actually generally they know. They know. People are just trying to speak shit and create some kind of story or whatever about you that they can use to put you down. But uh, no, I didn't name myself after Bananama. My name is Damien, uh, shortened to Damo, and I don't refer to myself as a scholar sage. But other than that, most of the feedback has been good, so that's been really interesting. Um, to see what people liked and what they didn't. People seem to really like the Chinese medicine podcast. Um, and I think some of the stuff around the channels people found really interesting. So I've taken note of that and I'll try and do some more. But first, let's have a look at this then. So what I wanted to talk about was um, maybe some of the things that I think sometimes people do wrong in Qigong. I don't want to come across as an ass, you know. It's not, um, it's not what I, I don't want to criticize what everybody is doing. That's really not my aim. Um, I mean, I met so many people who are doing all sorts of different forms of internal practice over the last few weeks, as I have done over the 
last sort of many 15 years of teaching or something now, plus all the years of training and, and things. So I've met a lot of people doing different arts. Um, some good at what they do and, and some not so good at what they do. As with everything, there's been a, a, a widespread. I've met people that are better than me and, and people that aren't so good at me. That That's the nature of these arts. Um, so, But sometimes what I see... Um, is that there's certain things that are holding people back, in my opinion. So when you listen to these, bear in mind that it is in my opinion, and that's all it is. So you can take it with a pinch of salt if you want to. But in my opinion, there's there's a few things. Um, I've listed nine here, um, nine things that people tend to do wrong, a little bit in their Qigong, or, or at least if they looked at these aspects of their training uh, and questioned it and explored it a little bit, they might find that it sort of took away the glass ceiling that had been holding them back in their arts. Because it's the same thing I hear over and over again. I, I've been doing this for years, I've been doing Qigong for years, and I feel like I'm held back in my practice. Um, and I can't understand why I'm not progressing. Um, and generally, what I do when I teach is I try to troubleshoot that and try to help people to change what they're doing. Okay, so this, as far as I see, are the main errors um, that people may be making in their internal arts. And I don't know, maybe these are helpful to you. Uh, number one, they don't have a clear aim with what they're doing. I think that tends to be a, a big issue, having no clear aim about what they're doing. Um, if you don't have an aim... Uh, and you're engaging with something like Qigong, uh, then you, it's almost like the mind or the spirit doesn't know where to go. Like you have to target it at something. That's not the same as striving, you know, like I really want to get amazing at it because that'll hold you back. And all the Eastern wisdom traditions say that striving holds you back. But at the same time, there has to be some kind of aim about what you're doing. So maybe you came in to improve your health. That's great, wonderful. Then that is an aim. Um, so then when you're training, you, you should be sort of uh, working towards that aim. Some people come in uh, to improve their mind martial arts, other people to make their medicine better, some people just want to learn about the insides of the body, maybe to support some other internal practice they have. Some people want to stabilize the mind so it's easier to practice meditation. Some people want enlightenment. You know, th these are all aims um, that, that different people have when they come into, well, it was one guy. One guy came in and he did Qigong because he was going to have a son born soon and he wanted to uh, work on himself to be the best man he possibly could for his newborn son. I thought that was a marvelous aim. I thought that's brilliant. That's one of the nicest ones I've ever heard uh, from somebody practicing these arts. Completely selfless. Um, but at the same time, you get people with no aim. They come in and they just do Qigong and they're not really sure what they're doing. Um, I don't think that you have to aim right to the end of the path. I think aiming for enlightenment is probably a little unrealistic, a little bit unhealthy to be focused on that one thing. But I think if you have an aim within your arts, like you know what you want out of it, then basically you can fashion your training in that way. Because, for example, I would train Qigong very, very differently if to improve my health from a medicinal point of view than if I wanted to train my Qigong to make me better at martial arts, maybe to withstand damage or to be able to issue more force in something like Tai Chi or Bagua. I would also train very differently for that. Um, if I want tra train my Qigong very differently if I wanted to increase my ability as an acupuncturist. You know, that... Whereas some of the exercises might be the same across these different aims, the focus of how I train and how I practice and how I put together uh, my daily routines and things will vary according to my aim. And, and often when I get students come up and they say they're struggling or they're stuck in their art, um, especially if they come from another school or something and, and that doesn't focus on such things, um, I, I always ask them the first question when they come to me. I return the question. They, they say, can you help me? And I say, well, what do you want? Often they look confused. I say, well, what's your aim? Why, why are you here? What, what, what do you want out of these arts? And they just look blankly, and they have to go away and think about it. Then normally they come back a bit later, and they say, okay, well, I'm here because I want to improve my health. Okay, sure, no problem. 
that's good. You've told me the aim. Um, now what I'll do is I hope you fashion a practice uh, with regards to that so that you're actually moving in the right direction. Um, th that is vitally important if you really want progression within these arts. Whatever your aim is, you need to understand how to fashion your training so that you actually achieve that aim. Do, don't underestimate the importance of that one, in, in my opinion. Um, I've even met people who really want to improve their health, and, and the teacher's been showing them uh, martial arts-based exercises, you know, being hit with sticks and all sorts, and it's not <laughs> its not really what they're after. And at the same time, we've met people who really want to improve their Tai Chi. Uh, maybe they want to develop some of the jins, the internal forces, and push hands, uh, and they're sort of spending their time on medical Qigong exercises and, and obviously not getting what they want out of it. Um, so, yeah, point one, choose the aim. Make sure you know at least kind of what direction you're after, what sort of field you're in, and, and then fashion your practice and seek out the art that will lead you towards that aim. That's the first one. No aim means body and mind don't know where to go. Second one, second error that I see um, is an obsession with sexual practices. <laughs> this is uh, um, certainly one that's become more, I guess I've seen a lot more of it now that, that I'm getting a little bit better known and people are tending to come from outside schools a lot more. So in the past I used to get new students, just brand new people turning up, never done anything before, come and do some arts and, and I take them into Qigong and, and they explore and then they go deeper into it. But these days because I've written books and people know who I am I guess, then what happens is I get more people with uh, a lot more experience um, in other traditions and systems turning up and, and I tend to find that People who have an obsession with sexual practices haven't really got very far um, with the practice. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a prude, um, definitely not, and I, I'm not even um, uh, I'm not squeamish about such things or anything like that. I'm really not, and it's not an ethical or moral judgment on my part at all. Um, I think whatever people want to do, as long as it's not hurting anybody, uh, I think that's okay. Um, but at the same time, those Qigong systems that are overly focused on sexual energies um, and sexual practices and dual cultivation and things like this um, are rarely produce good practitioners and I rarely see many people getting anywhere within those uh, traditions partially because um, dual cultivation is massively massively understood and played a way more minor part in uh, any of these traditions than some how do I say it uh, unscrupulous maybe that'll do um, teachers in the West would like to present it as because maybe they have a uh, an enjoyment or a preference for sex, which is you know fine. That's up to them. So then what they do is they start to distort the teachings and make it all about sexual practice. I mean, I would advise anybody who really um, thinks that the arts are mainly about sexual practice should go and find the dual cultivation classics, which you can find in English. Read about them, and you'll find that the vast majority of them were just really for explaining um, to a person who practices or a person who's trying to guard their internal health how to protect their health while maintaining a healthy sexual relationship within a household. I mean, that's really the vast majority of what they were. Um, sometimes what they tended to do was use sort of very spiritual language, but that's mainly because in the classics they overstate everything. So um, instead of saying, you know, if you do this, uh, practice and you guard your jing, then you'll feel really healthy. They'll say something like, you guard your jing and you'll travel to the heavens. Um, obviously, it doesn't mean you'll travel to the... Well, obviously, to me, it means you won't travel to the heavens. Um, but to some others, they misinterpret it as a, a way to enlightenment. Um, like I said, if I'd actually met anybody who got anywhere with the sexual practices uh, with regards to spiritual development, then I might have a different opinion. But in 15 years of teaching, I haven't yet had somebody come through the door is really managed to get anywhere and in fact a lot of people have mostly just um, created psychological physical damage 
from those uh, practices as well. <sighs> Some of you will listen to this going, oh, no, no, I practice the sexual practice, they're really important and stuff like that. But remember that um, I'm talking about people that actually sort of went to the deeper parts of the art, not people who managed to improve their sex life. If people want to manage to improve their sex life, then great, more power to them. But uh, nobody has ever attained enlightenment through sexual activity, I'm afraid. Otherwise, a lot more people would be enlightened uh, than they currently are. Um, the sexual practices uh, really come from the misunderstanding that your jing is your sexual fluids, which is really not the case. Your jing is a, a base um, energetic, in air quotes, substance uh, within your body that actually goes on to produce a lot of different things. It, it goes on to form the blood, it goes on to affect the DNA, it's cell regrowth and the endocrine system is all related to it and things like this, the warming of the body. Um, the creation of sexual fluid and sexuality is one very minor part um, of the movement of Jing. So your Jing is not your sexual fluid. And, and as soon as I hear, not purely anyway, and as soon as I hear somebody talking about sexual energies all the time within their internal arts, I already know that they've, they've kind of missed a point uh, a little bit. So the second one is an obsession with sexual practices. Um, if you want to practice sexual practices for the sake of it, go ahead, fine, whatever, have fun. But um, no, they're really not the basis in an authentic and traditional system. The third error is people are too exercise-focused um, uh, quite often. So what I mean by this is not physical exercise, not like going to the gym. What I mean by too exercise-focused is they're more interested in learning the Qigong exercises than they are in actually going through the process that the exercises should take you through. So these are the kinds of people that might have been to 20 different teachers and learned different sets of exercises, know the animal frolics, they know the Baduan Jin, the Eight Pieces of Brocade, they know the Yijin Jing, they know the tripod, white crane, Qigong, you know, they, they know so many different sets. And basically all they've done is collect set after set after set after set, and sometimes, you know, hundreds of exercises. Um, and again, they, they've not really actually done any internal cultivation or development because they missed the point that the exercises are not the aim for the exercise's sake. The Qigong exercises are simply tools to help you move through an internal process. So just like if I was building something, I need, I don't know, a screwdriver and a hammer and a saw and a crowbar or something like that. Um, if I want to move through an internal change process, I will need some tools. And those tools might be various Qigong exercises that I use to move through that process. But I don't waste my time focusing on trying to make the exercises as neat as I can or as to learn as many as I can or anything like this because that's kind of like focusing on the tools rather than the job at hand. You know, it's, it's a little bit of an error. So sometimes I try to pull people back from that. Uh, so much so, actually, that when I teach courses, it's very rare that I ever complete a set of exercises on a weekend. Sometimes people are unsatisfied with that when they turn up. But once they've worked with me a little while and they get used to the way I do things, um, actually, people tend to prefer it, I find. Once, once they take the pressure off of, like, no, you don't need to learn these movements, um, instead, I just teach initially the important ones. These are the two, three that you personally need right now for your process to help you do whatever that may be, whether it be build the Dantian or open the channels or whatever it is we need to do at that moment. And then generally what I do is I fill in the blanks later um, and put in the missing exercises people have learned. And, and generally that's only for people who are going to teach uh, themselves. Because I think teachers of an art should know the whole set because they should have all the tools. But practitioners just need the things that they need at that particular uh, moment, the rest of it can be, well, the blanks can be filled in later. So often I try to get people away from being very exercise focused. Don't worry about learning more sets. Instead, let's look at the process itself. That's it. Let's look at the process. 
you're not trying to build perfect, beautiful exercises through Qigong. Um, because ultimately, if you want to do that, you'd be off going to dance classes, because dancing is way more beautiful than Qigong in the majority of cases. It's certainly more complicated physically. So we're not trying to build the exercise as neat as we can. I don't like all that. We are trying to create some kind of work of art within ourselves. We are the work of art that we're building with regards to our internal cultivation, the change of the way our body functions, the way our energy moves, the change of the way our spirit and our mind um, are constructed. This is really what we're trying to build, um, the process inside of us rather than the exercises. So the third error that people make is I try to pull them away from just learning sets of exercises. And okay, let's look. What does that exercise do? What does it do for you? Where are you in the process and what is it you need to do at this particular moment? Then, the fourth error that I've listed here um, is practicing the arts in the correct sequence. And what I mean by this is, like, basically, um, Taoism talks about uh, three states, uh, that of the earth, that of humanity, and that of heaven. Uh, sometimes listed the other way around, as sort of heaven, humanity, earth, or whatever. Um, but basically what they're talking about is densities of training. So the earth level, the first level, should be very dense work with the physical body. Uh, the humanity level, ultimately, is to do with the consciousness um, and the body's chi. To change this, the more energetic and uh, psychological aspect of the training. And then the heaven layer is the, the cosmic, you know, it's the spirit and the connection to uh, something higher, some kind of divinity. So what should happen is within classical arts, you, you work your way like you're moving up a pyramid. So you start within the dense levels and then gradually as you refine your training, then you move up to the more um, ethereal layers, what they call the heaven layers and stuff like this. Um, and sometimes people get stuck because they've started the wrong way around um, very often. So it because they haven't built the base in the earth level, very dense work, very physical work, changing the body, constructing the body in the right way, changing the body's health, changing the way the nervous system functions, changing the way the endocrine system functions. Because they haven't done that, they don't have a foundation to build upon. So instead, they've started at the other end, right at the level of what we call heaven, and they've started, tried to start at the sort of ethereal stage, but you can't build the ethereal without a foundation to put it on. So as an example of that, if you walk into your class and the first class is all about connecting with stars, connecting with planets and constellations and deities and things like this, then and what's the other one? Or, uh, linking organs to planets and things like that. Like, sure, fine. I'm not taking away from the fact that lots of these more esoteric teachings did exist, um, especially within Taoism and the internal arts but they're not where you start, like they really aren't. The body has to transform before you can even hope to go to those levels and starting at the other end, at the level of the esoteric and the abstract and the ethereal and the spiritual, it's gonna lead you nowhere because you don't have a foundation to uh, build it upon. So I think of it like this, like those higher levels, if you want, if they are more like radio stations, but first you have to build the radio in order to pick it up, which is your body. Sadly, I've met people who walked into some traditions where they were told from the beginning they were connecting with stars and planets and things like this. Uh, they've been through year after year of nonsensical art that's not taking them anywhere um, simply because they started at the wrong end of the process. So always start with the dense, start with the physical. Okay, error number five. Um, it's really... I think sometimes, not everybody, this is less common actually. Uh, I should put these in order of common, how common they are, shouldn't I? But this one's not so common. Um, but sometimes people ignore the health of the body. And that sounds really kind of daft maybe because Qigong is known as a health art. But you do get people that come into it 
like I was saying just now, the sort of esoteric and the spiritual side of things, um, and all they want to talk about is their karma and their ming and their destiny and things like this, um, and often they just miss the health of their body, you know? It's like, it's, I have people come up and they say, oh, I want to do this, and let's talk about karma, and let's talk about spirits, let's talk, it's like, well, okay, but let's look at your body, have you got anything that we need to look at first? And they well, yeah, I've had this bad back for 20 years, and bad knees, and my hips screwed, and got pain down my side and I can't stand right and I can't sleep properly at night because I'm stressed. Like that should be your start point. Even if your aim is, you know, not in it purely for health, maybe you're in it for spiritual development, you still need to look at the obvious and the things that you're you can immediately deal with um, if you know how to train properly. And and your health is certainly one of those. If the body's health breaks down, then you're gonna suffer the consequences. Um, and I think that sometimes it's an error for people, especially in more esoteric systems that you're going to not look at their body and what is wrong with them. Um, so for example, if you have bad back and bad knees, to me that would be your first port of call. Uh, so some people will come the other way and say, no, no, we changed the karma and the back and the knees will improve. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe. But actually maybe you just need to understand how to work with your hips and your choir and your back and your legs properly um, in order to help the body sort of lubricate itself and open up and take away those injuries um, and then from there, we can build on that foundation. It's like, if you've got bad knees and back, let's forget the Dantian for now. Let's just try to fix the body up. And I think sometimes people forget that. Um, so often what I do and I teach is right at the beginning with new people, I bring it right back to uh, standard basic principles to try to teach people to make their bodies comfortable and function properly before we move on. So number six. Uh, the sixth one uh, is... <laughs> Okay, the sixth one really uh, is a bit of a controversial one because in my opinion, you shouldn't use your imagination for qigong or internal training or even meditation training, in my opinion. Um, and that's obviously not the norm because I meet countless practitioners who use their imagination. So what I mean by that is like, uh, you start doing your exercise and then the next instruction is imagine a white light coming into the top of your head or imagine a waterfall pouring through you or picture five animals spread around your picture of consolation or picture of deity or whatever, you know. There's hundreds and hundreds of images that people are using and then they're imagining these images moving around them and through the body um, and things like this. Um, really, you shouldn't be using your imagination in the internal arts. There's two reasons for that. The first is that um, ultimately the biggest danger for any internal arts is delusion, self-delusion. Um, and if you're using your imagination, you're adding a load of pictorial stuff into the equation that's going to make seeing through delusion incredibly difficult. The clarity is very hard while you're imagining deities and white lights and lotus flowers and waterfalls and whatever it is. Um, and secondly, because sometimes people misunderstand, and this might be a whole podcast in its own right, but it's not the action of your mind that we use to guide the chi we shouldn't do, lots of people do, and it's wrong. It's the quality of the mind that we use to lead the chi. Okay, let's say that again. It's not the action that leads the chi, it's the quality of the mind that leads the chi. So the key quality with the mind is sung, is release, is letting go and releasing to create space and a lack of density. And when that happens, the chi moves in a very specific way. So if I am pinpointedly pushing my chi with my mind through my arm, that's not the same. I'm not song. My mind is honed to a point. And actually what will happen is the chi will, at best, uh, do nothing. And at worst, it will actually stagnate 
Um, so we don't use the action of the mind to lead the qi. So sung is the ultimate quality you're aiming for um, within most of the internal arts, especially the Chinese ones. Um, and you can't sung while you're imagining something. It's not possible. You also can't sink your mind to your dantian while you're imagining something, because if you picture and you visualize something, you're actually using at least the heart or the head, which will raise the qi and prevent you going to the lower dantian. Um, so I don't personally think that imagination or visualization has any place uh, within qigong, certainly not for a very, 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 very long time until you've developed very, very good mental qualities uh, beforehand. Um, I think where this comes from is if you read the classical texts, often what they do is they talk about white lights and lotus flowers and things like this um, opening, and they talk, they talk about a lot of, a lot of visual phenomena um, that you will see during the arts. Um, and actually what was happening was they are telling you the um, visual reactions that will take place within your mind's eye when you hit certain parts of the process. This happens because when qi moves or when qi changes or when a part of your spirit or consciousness is changed, um, it's hard for the body and the brain to understand. So it will either personify that or it will create an image out of it within your mind's eye to give you a way of understanding the experience that's taking place. So in that way, the images that arise should come from inside of you, not outside of you. So if you imagine something, if you visualize light, that's outside. You are visualizing something. If it's arising inside of you as a result of your training, that's an actual attainment. Um, and in that way, the classical texts were telling people, uh, you know, they were confirmation tools, the classical text. So you could read it and go, oh, shit, yeah, I've had that. Yeah, okay, that means I might have done that. So that they could help and guide you through the training. And I think what happened was people read the classical text and they read the master's accounts of what they'd seen during the training and misunderstood and thought they were supposed to visualize and imagine such things. Um, it was said very well by one of my students um, that uh, if you're imagining things, then ultimately you're practice is imaginary, which, okay, that's harsh, <laughs> but I don't disagree. Um, so I don't think imagination has any place in it. So I tend to take that out of the equation, and I train people um, to manage to attain uh, tact, you know, definitely clear, tangible, and tactile results within the body that have no doubt within them, um, that, that there's no need for visualization or imagination. You, you, the results arise within you from correct practice. So I think, I know that's a controversial one because some people won't like that. But again, take it with a pinch of salt, just my opinions. But I don't think the imagination should be used anywhere near as much as people are um, within Qigong. I don't think so. I think it's an unhealthy uh, thing to do. And I think it glass ceilings your practice very quickly. I will say that all of the uh, top masters that I've trained with and had the um, good fortune to meet with and, and learn with, and some of these are very high up within the lineages, um, none of them use their imagination, definitely not. And they would all agree that it's not something that a person should be using. So what are we on? Uh, what is this? One, two, three, four, five, six. This is seven, is it? Okay, so seven. Number seven is mixing. This is another error. People mix too many things together. So you get to that person that turns up and I go, oh, what do you practice? They practice, oh, I practice Qigong, yoga, chakra balancing, uh, Buddhist meditation, five different sects of hermetics, and I do uh, Western astrology, and I've got eight therapies under my belt, and I've got 15 Qigong teachers, and, blah, 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 and it just reels off this huge long CV. Um, 
and by mixing so many things, they actually hold themselves uh, back. Um, now, this would be hypocritical to say don't do any of that because I've, I've been out and I've looked at different teachers and different systems. But at the same time, I have one key common thread that runs through everything I do. And this one core forms a foundation of my practice. Um, and I try to keep that pure um, so that if I do look at another tradition, for example, I know a fair bit about uh, Vedic teachings and I know a fair bit about Buddhism. Um, quite a lot, but but still the majority, the core of what I do is Taoism because I don't wish to mix. Not all arts are the same. Sometimes people join the dots up and assume they are because something sounds the same, so it must be the same, but that's not actually the case. Uh, so what will happen is different arts are trying to produce different aims, and if you try to put all these different aims into the body at the same time, it's like typing in a load of different instructions onto the computer. It doesn't understand, and it freezes. Uh, and the same can happen with your body and your mind. So if I start mixing practices... You know, I'm not even talking about the health risks of certain combinations, but if I start mixing practices and the body and the mind can't really understand what I'm supposed to be doing, so often they'll cancel each other out and you don't get anywhere. So I think people mix way too much. I think that how, if I look at what I did, I, I looked around for a long time and I tried different things and then when I found something that worked that I liked, um, I stuck with it and that was what I did. And then I did a little bit of looking around afterwards, but primarily if something worked for me, I stuck with that and I didn't mix it with things. And I think that the combinations people are doing of studying 20 different arts is not working for them. Digging 20 shallow holes instead of one deep one is holding some people back. Uh, do I think it's wrong? Um, no, no, I don't actually. I don't think it's wrong because some people don't actually want to go very deep into this. They actually just want to have the experience and the fun of practicing lots of different arts. Um, so in that case, that's fine. If that's what you want to do, no problem at all. So when I have those kind of people come along um, and they ask me, you know, is, is it okay for me to study all these different things? I, I return the question. And I say, well, what do you want? Do you want to go really deep? Like you after sort of tr personal transformation. If they say yes, and I'm like, well, really, you need to choose one system and stick with it and go deep into that one. And if they say, no, no, I'm just here for interest, then of course, no, fine. Yeah, practice whatever you want. Don't worry about it. It's a free world and enjoy yourself. And, and there's lots of fascinating stuff out there. But at some point, if you want to go deep, mixing is not um, advised. Certainly, if you teach, you should never mix because that's not fair. If you're a teacher and you mix things, that's not right because then um, already the students that are coming to you are already receiving a mixed art before they even mix it themselves. So things definitely get very, very confused. Um, so I don't know, those things I should be, think should be taking into account a little bit. Number eight. Um, this one's hard to put into words, though. I think error eight is that people don't understand just how literal some of the uh, definitions and explanations of the experiences you have within these arts are. Um, this is from past masters and things like that, but even at my basic level of teaching, uh, I even see it happening with me. Um, I will tell people, look, you need to keep going until this happens in your body. And I will say, it will feel like, and I'll explain something that's quite strong. And people I have taught will then assume that I am either exaggerating um, or being overly dramatic. Um, and actually, it's not as strong as I'm saying. And I've had some people that I've teach, taught for a while who now teach themselves even, have been telling people, oh, no, 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 it's not as dramatic as Demo says. Uh, it doesn't, it's more subtle than that. And actually, the, the reason that they think it's more subtle um, is because they haven't trained uh, long enough and they haven't got deep enough and they, they actually need to keep going. Um, they just haven't had that experience themselves because they're still at a beginner stage. You need to keep going. So 
what happens is if you think that the experiences are exaggerated, uh, then you will not know to keep going till that arises. Maybe if you don't understand that, maybe I should give you an example. So, for example, um, there's, a, there's a part of the process when the do channel opens, the governing channel in the back, that when it opens, um, the nerves release around the base of the sacrum. It's a physiological thing, uh, this part of the process. And a surge of electricity runs up your back, or that's what it feels like. It feels like a very, very strong jolt of electricity shooting up the back, and it comes in a few surges, and it goes up into the occiputs. Um, and from feeling electricity, uh, you know, literal just feeling electricity in my life, I think it comes to about 50 or 60 volts is what it feels like, I approximate, shooting up through your spine into the head. And that, uh, that tends to take place when the do channel is opening, when the nerves unbundle around the bottom, and it's called the three lightning strikes. Um, within classical terminology. So it's called three lightning strikes within the Taoist tradition. That kind of suggests it feels like lightning, like electricity. And I have told people, no, 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 because I've, I've had it, I've done it, and it, that it feels like this many volts running through your spine. Um, and then what I've had is when I teach people is they assume that I'm exaggerating. Uh, and then when they have a faint tickle or tingle running along the length of their spine, they assume it's, that's it. Um, and actually, that's not the case. No, you need to keep going. Um, because you're still, you still haven't experienced the real thing. So hopefully you can see that would be a, why that would be a problem, because if you have a very literal experience that you're supposed to have and a very literal attainment, and you think it's an exaggeration or a metaphor, then you don't know to keep going until you've had that experience. Um, and I've seen people fall foul of that, not just with me, but with other people that have taught them. I've, they've come to me and they've said, oh, and, you know, they've said they've been trained with this guy, and, and I know the guy, and he's a really skilled practitioner. And, he, and they say, oh, yeah, but he said this. And he was a bit bit of a sort of storyteller, exaggerating. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to trust your teacher. And uh, if they said that's what you're going to experience, then keep going until you experience that. And if you think he's exaggerating or you don't trust him, then you shouldn't train with him, actually, because you're not getting very clear guidance uh, from that teacher and or you're not accepting very clear guidance from that teacher. So error eight might not be so common, but thinking that things are exaggerated um, are not... Or, or metaf more metaphorical than they actually are, can be a bit of a hurdle to your uh, training. Because there are very clear auditory and visual and somatic signs that arise within your body at different stages in the training that were outlined by past masters. Um, and they're quite strong, the experiences. And to uh, think they are less literal than they are will definitely, um, will definitely hold you back. Yeah, that's definitely the case. That's eight, isn't it? Yes, I think so. So the ninth one, the ninth thing that tends to um, hold people back from what I see um, is an inability to change their lifestyle around their art. Uh, that's the ninth one, which might sound kind of obvious, I know. But I've seen people, I've met people that have trained, 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 trained really, really hard, and they really want to be very good, yet they live on burgers and pizzas. Um, and then they wonder why they don't progress or why they still feel shit or why the arts aren't working for them. Um, or they still drink too much, or they still smoke too much, or, or whatever. Um, you have to change your lifestyle. It's not enough to just practice the arts and not change anything else in your existence. That's not going to work. If you have an unhealthy lifestyle, you have to change it. Um, and in some ways, changing the lifestyle is probably more useful than the exercises anyway with regards to your health. But you, you have to change it. I mean, there's also a, another thing where if you become more connected to your body, more aware of your body by interfacing your mind in the body and singing and sinking and listening to the body, um, then you can actually become more sensitive things to things that are harmful uh, to the body. So it can actually be worse 
um, for you. So your lifestyle changes uh, have to be taken into account while you're training. I don't think there's much more to say on that. That's a bit of an obvious one, right? So these are just nine things I jotted down uh, that I saw from people that, or, or, or over the years, not just on the last course I did, but just over the years, things that are holding people back. So I'll, I'll reiterate them for you again. So number one was to have no clear aim. You need to know why you're practicing. Yeah? If you don't know why you're practicing, the practice won't work. Number two, uh, an obsession with sexual practices or sexual energies or sexual essences or whatever. Um, too much obsession with this means you're focusing on the wrong thing. Third one was too exercise-based, so focusing on Qigong sets and collecting sets rather than um, actually focusing on the process. And obviously the internal process is not going to create any change if you're not really focusing on it. If the exercises alone are not enough. Don't focus on the tools, focus on the process. The fourth one was things have to be done in order. So you have to start at the level of density. You have to develop the body, um, develop the, the vehicle, the workshop of your training before you move up towards energy and then towards esoteric stuff. It matches the classical um, terminology of earth to humanity to heaven or jing to qi to shen. You have to start grounded. Okay, the uh, fifth one was your health. Make sure that you take your health into consideration. If your health is shot to pieces, that should probably be your first port of call because you want to make your body comfortable. And, and if nothing else, even if you never manage to achieve any high-minded spiritual practice, it's nice to be healthy. It's nice to be able to be comfortable in your body and be pain-free. Everyone can benefit from that if they've got pain. Uh, number six was don't use your imagination. Um, don't need to. Mental qualities are more important than mental visualization. Seven was don't mix things up too much. Try to find a, a common thread. Don't dig, dig, uh, don't dig many shallow wells. Dig one deep one. Number eight was don't... Uh, think that classical definitions, either from your teacher or from classical texts, are exaggerations. Um, actually, they're quite literal quite often. So uh, keep going with the teacher's guidance until you make sure you've actually had the experience. Um, I tend to find that actually most classical teachings are a lot more literal than I originally thought when I came into these arts. Now I've done them for longer. And then the ninth one was, um, oh yeah, change your lifestyle. Uh, it must... Uh, match your practice. So you must eat well, sleep well, rest well, do a health level of exercise, make sure you breathe well, don't stress too much. You know, you have to take all of these things into account with regards to your life as well if you want your Qigong practice to work well because you need more energy in the body um, and you'll certainly have more energy if you live well. So these were the nine uh, points that I wanted to discuss um, that really just like I say, opinions, advice from me uh, just over all these years of teaching and meeting, I keep saying hundreds of people, it's probably thousands by now, I don't know. There's so many people I've met over the years around the world um, and seeing what they're doing and seeing what's, what's holding them back. And, and this is generally, I find sometimes people fall within one or two, maybe three of these kind of errors and that's what's preventing them from uh, progressing or developing in the arts. So they get stagnant or they get stuck in what they're uh, what they're doing. Um, and I pretty much shift between these nine when I'm trying to help someone troubleshoot what they're doing wrong is just kind of check that they don't have any of these nine errors in place. And normally if they haven't got any of these nine errors in place, they progress very well uh, within their art. So okay, a bit of a shorter podcast um, for this time than normal. I'm aware it's 
way not less than normal. Um, but to be honest, I'm pretty tired after three and a half weeks uh, teaching in America um, and Canada. I shouldn't do that, should I? They are separate places. <laughs> Canadians ever will be annoyed. Um, yeah, between teaching in Canada and America, I'm a little bit dozy. Um, it's quite late at night, and, and uh, you know I didn't want to talk too long. And I, I just wanted to summarize uh, some of the things I'd seen. I also apologize for any poor quality to the sound, because I don't have my usual equipment here. You can guarantee that the next episode we do will be far longer and far more detailed and far more professional with the uh, sound, because I'll have all of the recording equipment back, rather than having my feet up on a coffee table in a cheap hotel room outside of Washington. DC. Other than that, thank you very much. Uh, and a big thank you to all of the people who came out to Canada and America and made this actually one of the most fun uh, teaching tours and trips that I've had in the States in a really long time. I'm back in September, um, and I'm really looking forward to it uh, already. I'm only doing the East Coast next time, but um, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm coming over with... Uh, actually, I'm coming over with... That's funny, isn't it? I'm coming over with the entire podcast crew because I'll have Jason with me in September and Rob... Um, and my wife, Ronnie, who hasn't spoken on the podcast, but did uh, play the ukulele or whatever the hell she plays uh, very briefly on one of the other podcast episode intros. So there we go. The entire Scholar Sage podcast crew will be coming in September um, to, I don't know, confuse people and teach them a load of nonsense. So thank you very much. <laughs>